0: Uh, The lesson is the church and its mission, and um, uh, if you would, let's just go to the Lord in prayer before we uh, actually jump into the lesson. Heavenly Father, when we begin talking about the church, we're speaking of the bride of Christ, we're speaking of your people, speaking of of those for whom You laid down Your life. So in some sense, we're entering on holy ground. Help us to comprehend and understand truths from Scripture about Your church, the Bride of Christ. Help me to speak clearly. Uh, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, I will ma- at, at the end, we'll have time for some questions, so as you think of questions, make a note on your paper there, or something of that sort, and then we'll have plenty of time at the end for questions. Um, I may answer that question before we get done, but just in case I don't, if you jot it down, that'll be helpful. Matthew 16, verse 18, you're probably familiar with the, the surrounding story, um, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? They gave him a variety of answers that people were saying, things that were popular. Uh, But then uh, he asked, but who do you say I am? And that's the the most important question that any of us have to deal with in life. Who do we say Jesus is? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' response, you know, after he affirms that he learned this from the Father, flesh and blood didn't reveal this. In verse 18, he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, this this truth of who he is, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The goal of, of our lesson this evening is to define the church, not necessarily the best definition out there, but kind of a working definition. I, I'm not going to argue for the technicality of this definition or that it, there aren't better ones. I've read all sorts of great definitions of the church. And, and so the goal here is to kind of a, a functional or a working definition of the church that incorporates some important aspects. And then to help each one of us see the importance of our part in the church. Um, Jesus is building his church. So it would be wise if we figure out what he's building. Why he's building that as opposed to something else, and, and 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 so in discovering that, I think it will help us. You know, sometimes people say, "What is your vision as a church?" Well, it's maybe we we could say some of the short answers, of course, on our sign and build, building a faithful gospel witness for this generation and the next. We, we could get real simple. We we could say, "Oh, our vision is to build the New Testament church." I mean, that would be fair, right? We do want to build the New Testament church. The catch is. When you say that, you've almost said nothing because, well, what's your understanding of what the New Testament church says and what's yours? So rather than say essentially nothing, I mean, yes, we want to build a New Testament church. We want to give some definition to what we think that is. That can grow. That can, we can get a better understanding of that, but we'd like to at least give some parameters of what we think a New Testament church uh, would be and what it looks like and what its goal is and so forth, its purpose. Um, the church, and this is the working definition that we're going to kind of unpack this evening. The church is a local gathering of believers who are joined together, calling on the Lord in worship and prayer together, serving one another and representing Christ to the world. Okay, now, I say people probably have much better and finer definitions, but this I think works to really cover the important aspects of what a church is in function. It's a local gathering of believers who are joined together, calling on the Lord in worship and prayer together, serving one another, representing Christ to the world. Let's take the pieces of that. First, the church is a local gathering of believers. You know, it's it's interesting if you pause and think about it, every New Testament letter, the epistles we call them, this simply means letters, Every New Testament letter was either written to a local church, or local churches, or to the leaders of local churches. Th- there's actually no concept of Christianity inside the pages in the New Testament apart from vital connection to a local church. So, you know, oftentimes in our culture today, people think, well, I can be a Christian. I just need my Bible and Jesus and me. OK, well, in the New Testament time, if. If you didn't have a local church, you wouldn't have any of the New Testament because that would be the only place you could have gone and heard it, and most people would not have any of the Old Testament either. So that concept would have been foreign to them, okay? Is it possible? Well, we can discuss that in a moment, but just to start with the basis that in the New Testament time period, nobody would have had that thought to, to be disciplined in the church. The worst form of discipline would be to be put out of the church. According to Matthew eighteen, now there are plenty of Christians run around today that have self excommunicated themselves. They're not connected to a local church, and they don't see the problem with that. But the local ch- the church is local. We 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 often think, well, I'm a part of the church, and we think of this kind of nebulous sort of universal thing. And and there's truth in that. We are part of something much bigger than this local church, and I'm glad for that. <laughs> Praise God. But I think it's ninety. 90- I've got the figures in here. Ninety-three references out of the hundred and ten times the word church is used in the New Testament refer to a local church. Only seventeen can be applied to more broadly the, the church at large. So when the when the scriptures speak of the church, it's vast majority of references is speaking about a local community of people. So even though the larger sense of church existed, people were spoken to about their relationship to a local church. Um, I've got a quote there in your your uh, uh, notes, which you can read later. I found it the night before last. I was just reading in this uh, magazine I got, uh, Christianity Today Pastors, Wisdom and Tools for Your Calling. Anyway, and, and the state of the church ministry in America. But there's an article in there by Eugene Peterson. Um, is it the Message Bible? I think he wrote, authored um, but he, he said the following to introduce his, his article. He said, When I became a pastor, I, I didn't like much about the complexities of community in general, and of a holy community in particular. I often found myself preferring the company of people outside my congregation, men and women who did not follow Jesus, or worse, preferring the company of my, my sovereign self. But I soon found that my preferences were honored by neither Scripture nor Jesus. Uh, It's an important recognition. I didn't come to that conviction easily, but finally there was no getting around it. There, There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life, apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. I'm not myself, by myself, community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture, is the setting for living the Christian life. Let me read that last line again. Community, not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture. Community is the setting for living the Christian life. I think that's well said. I I think that gets to the heart of it. And oftentimes our natural tendency drives us away from community, just as it drove people in Scripture away from community. But God's reconciliation unites us to himself and to one another in biblical Gospel-centered community. Now, back to a point I raised earlier, often people are quick to point out that you don't have to be a, uh, to be in a church to be a Christian. And, and fair enough, but that's not too different than saying you don't have to be in water to be a fish. You don't. You take a fish out of water, it's still a fish. It doesn't cease to be a fish just because you take it out of the water. I would suggest that if it doesn't get back in the water fairly soon, it's going to be a rather unhealthy fish. And and I think that really describes the relationship of a Christian to a local church. Um, Finding a local church when several of you move into an area, finding a local church is a vital aspect uh, of of our lives because it's like the fish getting back in water. Um, So. The church is a local gathering of believers, the the church. The second point is believers who are joined together, believers who are joined together. Uh, Bruce Milne uh, writes, Biblical religion is inescapably corporate. Scripture knows nothing of solitary religion. Okay, it's, it's inescapably corporate. Uh, Ephesians says it this way. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, and he, he uses this picture of a building. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. This is Ephesians 2.19. You're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. It's fascinating because in The first part of this paragraph, he starts out talking about how we're citizens and we're uh, no longer foreigners. We're built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. And then all of a sudden when he gets to with Christ Jesus being the chief cornerstone, he, he changes the metaphor. He kind of morphs into a different analogy instantly by calling Jesus a stone, a cornerstone. And then from there, he builds back out to where he started, but now he relates all of us to parts of the building as opposed to just people running around inside of it. It's just a, it's a, it's an amazing turn of, of phrases that he uses, but his, what he gets to is that we now are pieces of the building joined together, rising to become a holy temple in the Lord, whether you want to call them stones or bricks. I mean, Peter uses living stones later. Um, we're being built together to become a temple. A dwelling of God by the Spirit. Back in, in when, when, when David was king, he was wanting to build a temple and he said, well, you'll not build a temple, but you know, uh, your son, your seed will build that temple. Well, of course, Solomon built a physical temple, but ultimately it's Jesus, the son of David, who builds the temple that God will inhabit. Because even Solomon acknowledged at the dedication of the temple that God doesn't dwell in temples made by human hands. He doesn't need that. There's something greater coming. And, and, and that's what Christ is building. It's called the church. Um, and then in Ephesians 4, Paul uses two chapters later a completely other metaphor. Because we, we're talking about stones and and or bricks. But then he's going to switch over. Now, when we think about stones and bricks, let's stop and recognize there is a big difference between a a field strewn with bricks and a building built with bricks, okay? If you have a field strewn with bricks, I mean, those are bricks. There's no doubt they are bricks, but they aren't performing a function that's particularly useful. Whereas if you, you think of uh, downtown, there's a, a Methodist church. There's a number of churches down there, I mean, that that are... Pretty beautiful structures as structures go. And those bricks are serving a much greater purpose, joined together in an orderly way. They're accomplishing something greater than any one brick by itself could accomplish, being strewn across a field. But then in Ephesians 4, this switch, he goes from him, Christ, the whole body joined and held together. So first he talks about... Pieces of a building joined together and built together. Now he talks about a body, parts of a body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So here we have, and he uses this in Corinthians as well, this picture of a body with the members being parts. Now, the last time I checked, body parts are intended to be attached to a body. They work so much better that way. You know, if you were taking a walk through the park. I, I should, this illustration is becoming much more visit, visit, vivid for me. I should probably be careful. Yesterday, I was actually taking a run through the park, and I looked over because the ambulances were gathered, and there was a body, but it wasn't good. Uh, but if you're taking a walk through a park, and you happen to notice a hand, you wouldn't just like, like I'm talking about not like a hand with somebody eating a sandwich, using their hand. I'm talking about a hand without the rest of the body. You wouldn't just kind of keep going and think, oh, there's a hand. That's interesting. You no, know, you would stop. You would, I think I should call somebody. I mean, unless there's people gathered around like there were yesterday. It, you, that, that would shock you. You know, I mean, a foot. It, these things would, would, would cause you great alarm. Why? Because they're not attached to a body. That's a problem. But we meet believers all the time who will tell us, oh, I'm not really in a church. Well, wait a second. You're an arm, you're a leg, you're a part of a body, and you're not actually connected to a church. That should be alarming from a spiritual perspective. Um, Christ has called each of us to be members in particular, to use language from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, of his body. The local church of which we are a part. Uh, So so secondly, the church is believers who are joined together. Thirdly, the church is believers who are calling on the Lord in worship and prayer together. Um, In Acts chapter two, right after the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost, um, they devoted themselves, we read to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. There were activities that these new disciples committed themselves to, they they heard the word of god. Now we often think of worship as that portion of the service where we sing. You know, that's worship, right? And then we've got the preaching. But in actuality, worship in the historic Christian understanding of what worship is, we call historically the the service, the worship service because all of it is worship. There's a sense of worship because remember remember worship is about who God is. And part of our worship is to express to God to, to, to uh, give back to God praise for what He has revealed about Himself to us, right? Worship starts with God. God reveals something of Himself to us, and we express that back to Him in worship and in praise and thanksgiving. But the revelation of God to us is also worship, because that's where it begins. And so th- that's why the preaching of God's Word, when it's faithful to God's Word, is a form of of worship, But the early church gathered together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Prayer, calling on the Lord, calling on the name of the Lord. Um, fellowship, they were joined together. They were getting to know one another. There was relational interaction amongst them. In First in Corinthians, uh, Paul begins that letter saying, To the church of God in Corinth, to those who through those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. So they're called to be holy together with all those everywhere. So the church, this local church in Corinth, together with all those everywhere, all the other churches who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So one of the activities of the church is we call on. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are called by him and we call on him. And so the church is believers who are calling on the Lord in worship and prayer together. You see that throughout the scriptures that the people of God are a people who call on the Lord together. There's something about our mutual calling on the Lord as we engage the Lord together in worship and in prayer. Um, Fourthly, the church is believers who are serving one another. Believers who are serving one another. Galatians 5, verse 13. Paul writes, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another humbly in love. I'm going back. This is probably 15, 16 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, he he is uh, dear brother, good friends of ours. They they live in um, Ocoee, Florida now. He's uh, a doctor there, but uh, he uh, and Jim Badman and uh, his wife Holly were were part of our church then, and um, he was uh, leading a community group. And at that time, the church was much smaller. At that time, the community groups rotated weeks where they had the job duty, if you will, that community group would come in and, and do the cleaning of the building f- to prepare for the Sunday service. And so his group had it. And as many groups did, they would come in early on Sunday morning. We had one service at that time. And so they would come in early and and they would do all the cleaning and so forth. And and so I see him coming out of the, the men's restroom with a, a bucket and, a, you know, a toilet brush. and And he just says, with a big grin on his face, you know, he says, I love coming to a church where I'm asked to clean a toilet. He says, "I just—it's just something about that—that that reminds me of, of of who Christ is and who I am." And I, he he just loved that that it reminder that he's a servant of Christ. Now I don't know that most people would respond that way to cleaning the toilet, but it was great. Jim's that kind of guy that that would 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 respond that way, um, but. We are called to serve one another. And maybe that picture helps us get an idea of what does it really mean to serve one another. It's costly to serve one another. It's humbling to serve one another. Um, Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That picture of kneeling at a toilet and cleaning, there's an honoring of others above yourself that takes place in that context. Be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourselves. Christ came to, to serve, and he intends for his followers to be noted because of their love one for another. It's most evident in, our, in positioning ourselves to serve one another. And one of the, the last acts that Christ did on this earth was to, to get a wash bucket and a towel and to wash his disciples' feet. That, that, that communicates a vast amount about this the attitude, the humility that he had. And we see it in Philippians 2, where, where Paul writes to the Philippians, and I, uh, I love I love this text. It's kind of a synopsis of the gospel. But he says, he starts in verse 3 saying, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, Therefore, God highly exalted him, and gave him the name which is above every other name. That's the gospel bomb. But it starts before he gets to that. He starts with our attitudes toward one another. And then he ties our attitude, our thinking, our treatment of one another. He ties it. To the gospel, what Christ did. Have the same attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus who made himself nothing. In other words, make others more important than yourself lower yourself because Christ made himself nothing in order to serve you so you make yourself nothing in order to serve them it's we we you'll hear us say this around here a lot and I'll talk about it here in a moment at the end but the 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 three values that we kind of hold dearly are love the gospel everything's got to start with the gospel okay love the gospel that the gospel is the, the story of God. You, you, you could say it in a big, long way, you could say it in a short way, but the gospel is the story of God. What we just read out of Philippians, what Christ did, from his humbling himself, incarnation, to his serving, to his death, to his resurrection, in short, that's the gospel. In some ways, you could say Genesis to Revelation, when understood aright, is the gospel. So it's big, it's small, but the gospel is the story of our redemption so we say love the gospel because if we don't start with the truth of God, then we get everything else wrong. We start there. But the next thing we say is live the gospel, which is exactly what Paul is telling the Philippians here, isn't it? Have do, Live this way, think this way, and have the same mind in you which was in Christ, evidenced in the gospel. So in other words, love the story of Christ, but then be conformed to the image of the one in the story, the main character of the story, be conformed into his image. So love the gospel, live the gospel. And the fact of the matter is, if I truly love the gospel, I'll want to imitate the main character. And if I have no interest in imitating the main character, frankly, I, I should probably reevaluate how much I really love the gospel. Because I do I love that which I'm not interested in? Do I love Jesus, but I really don't want to be like him? Really? I mean, if I, if I, if I love him, if I truly do then there's something about wanting to be like him that that flows naturally from that. So love the gospel, love the gospel. The third point part of that is that to advance the gospel. We're always called to be outward in our thinking with the gospel. So love, live, advance the gospel. Okay. So fourth, the churches believers who are serving one another. Um but before we go on from the fourth one, just, just pause and consider So many of the New Testament commands, uh, instructions, are commands and instructions that we're to carry out toward one another. It's kind of hard to do those by ourselves. It's somewhat difficult to do those on our own, (laughs) but for obvious reasons. Right. And so the context was those local churches that were put in. But see, churches. By God's definition, they're God's people that are joined together in a locale. By definition, they're not just people like us. With a church comes people that are like us and people that are not so much like us. And there are people that we really enjoy hanging with and it just feels comfortable like an old pair of shoes. Right. And then there's those people that kind of rub us the wrong way. But that's all part of what it means to be a church. Now, yes, Doctrinal purity, apostles' doctrine, you know, they they held to that. Is is a church teaching what the apostles taught? That's vital to being a church, right? You know, why do we do expository preaching here? Another subject, but I'll just touch on it. Why do we do it? Well, because what we read in Acts chapter 2, they gave attention to the apostles' doctrine. Nobody's called to give attention to my doctrine. (laughs) They're called to give attention to the apostles' doctrine. So I I sure as better try to give the apostles doctrine See so that I've got to repeat what they said being innovative is really there're no points for that in pastoral ministry okay being creative there's no points for that being clear and accurate with what it says now there, that's the call that's the mission okay because Jesus didn't die for some mes- message that I come up with you know he died for us and to make sure we had the truth of what the apostles gave us. And, and so that's what's vital and important to us is, is that doctrine. But when we, when we get doctrine straight, then we know that in the context of the church, we're going to have opportunities to live out what we're taught. And part of what we're taught is to Paul. Paul frequently talks about forgiving one another, bearing with one another, being patient with one another. Something about those tells me that we're going we're gonna to have issues with people in the church. Because the last time I checked, when I'm not having issues with people, I don't have to bear with, I don't have to be patient with, and I don't have to forgive. <laughs> just kind of, you know, call <laughs> me crazy, just kind of fits that way. By the way, I usually make a promise when I first start this. I forgot to make it earlier, so I will make you this promise now. We won't get out of the night before we do. If, if you make Gulf Coast your church and you hang around here long enough, there's only one thing I can promise you that I will do for you. I will offend you. I can promise that. I will. Now, it might be that I do it in, you know, because of sin in me, something I do that actually I should not do that's offensive, that offends you. That's very possible because in case you're not aware, let me break it to you softly, I am a sinner. <laughs> okay. Now, the other possibility is it will happen because of sin in you. There could be something in you that, that causes you to take offense at me. There's also a third possibility is it could be some other, alt, you know, just need some explanation. I didn't sin, you didn't sin, but there was a misunderstanding. We need to work through it, okay? These are all possible, but at some point, just simply because we're two different human beings, we hang together long enough, I'm going to offend you. And when that happens, please don't be overly shocked by it. It might not have been intentional, it's possible it was and I need to repent. <laughs> but it might not have been intentional. Generally speaking, I don't go looking around, you know, I want to try to offend people. So hopefully it wasn't intentional. That's you know, my rule of thumb there. But but it but don't be so shocked by it that you're afraid to talk to me about it. Just because because I, I'm kind of aware that I've done this to people before and it might be you. And and so when that happens, please say something, and at least I have an opportunity to uh repent or explain or ah understand or you know whatever it might be. So be aware of that and you're going to do that to one another. It, it just is it's just part of what it, it means to do life together. Okay, number five, the church is believers representing Christ to the world. I love I love the letter to the Thessalonians, first Thessalonians for so many reasons if um, but here's probably the key reason. Why I like that church. Paul writes to them in verse 6 of that letter. It says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. So, the message rang out, but it rang out because it was, it was built on, it was proclaimed from a model of the message. In other words, people who were living out what the message talked about. If the church wants to be effective in the world today, and I think we do, right? That's the goal. Then we've got to live the message we proclaim. It doesn't do a lot of good to proclaim a message of a Savior who lays down His life for us, who is very humble, but to proclaim it from a bunch of people who are proud, arrogant and don't seem to care about the fact that they're proud and arrogant. That doesn't really go together, does it? But if the people actually are modeling this Savior, they're living this message, they're not only loving the gospel and proclaiming it, but they're living the gospel then as we advance the gospel, the people hearing the gospel will will at least, at least pause and say, well, I may not like the message, but you know what? It sure is having an impact there. It sure does make a difference there. As one fellow I know and know well, spent much time sharing the gospel with over the years, he's an unbeliever. He will tell you he's an atheist. But he has said to me many times, I've, you know, after looking at Christianity, looking at other religions, he says, you know, Christianity is, if if there is a true religion, it has to be Christianity. I, I, without a doubt, there's no question in my mind it would have to be because it's the most beautiful truth in all the world. I wish I could believe it were true because there's nothing better. And I think to myself, I wish you could too <laughs> for your sake. But it's, and he recognizes if people just live this, it would it would fix the problems in the world. He knows that to be true. Well, let's live it, and let's at least show it to as many people as possible. Let's walk out the humility that it calls us to. But it is costly. It is costly. It costs us, amongst other things, and even more than this. But it costs us our pride, and that's usually the hardest one to, that, that we we have. I think some people would rather give up their possessions than their pride. It costs us our pride. It costs us. We have to be willing to be wrong. Um, I started preaching at a young age. In fact, way too young to be preaching. (laughs) I was 17. That's my 17th birthday, actually, when I preached my first sermon. It was to a youth group, so that was probably okay. But it wasn't long before I was preaching in churches. That probably wasn't okay. And it wasn't long before I was planting a church church. And trust me, I know that wasn't okay because I was clearly not well prepared for that, okay? I, I, I wasn't serving people well, but the Lord did use that period of time to humble me and to teach me some doctrine by kind of putting me in the furnace. And, and so I thank God for at least His mercy in all of that reference this morning's message in terms of how God uses even our sinful act, actions to accomplish His purposes and will. But... Um, I had to learn early in the first 10 years I spent, my wife and I got married, we spent in Utah. And I planted a church and there was this couple at our church and I'm, I'm trying to think, it's probably about five, six years into it that they started coming. And round about year eight, which was fascinating because I'd gone through a huge number of theological changes and adjustments during that first eight years. But around about year eight, they set an appointment with us, which wasn't a particularly uncommon thing. They would, from about every six months or so, set an appointment to come over and tell me all the things I was doing wrong. And and um, this is an interesting story. That day, I, I knew they were coming that evening, but a, a guy I had just recently come to know was a, a, a minister, but he was also a musician and sang and recording artist and whatever, but a Christian. And... Um, i just come to know him a few weeks or so earlier, and he just stopped by my office that morning. I was teaching in our Christian school at the time as well, so he caught me between classes, and, and he said, hey, I just was praying this morning, and you came to mind, and I don't know what you've got going on, but do you have a meeting tonight or something? I said, yeah, I've got a meeting. He said, well, the Lord just told me to tell you not to say a word. Don't answer anything, and just listen. Now, he had no idea why they were coming over, and of course, he had no idea had he known what it was, that my, my, my M.O. was to defend myself. Now, I, I know you can't imagine ever defending yourself, but that was my M.O., okay? Uh, I was all of 26 years old, I think at the time, 27, something like that, and had been pastoring for eight years. Go figure that one out. But anyway, they were coming, and, and, and I had enough fear of God in me to, to, to know that if the Lord sends somebody to tell you that, and you're about to have a meeting. He had no idea I had such a meeting, um, that you should probably obey the Lord. I'm just guessing, but you should probably obey the Lord. So I did. I, I thought to myself, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a little slow, but I can figure this one out. And so they came, and, and I opened up my notebook, and I sat there for about an hour and a half while they went through, they had a list, they had pages. I don't know why they were even coming to the church? It's really kind of humorous if you think about it. Of all the things I was doing wrong, and and so they went down the list one at a time and and, and went through it. And I took notes and I wrote down the things they they shared. And I asked I, the only thing I, I I would do is, could you clarify or could you tell me more about that? But but I just determined and prayed for a couple of hours before they came. Lord, help me not to actually defend myself or respond to any of these things, but with any sort of defense, but only to clarify, only to. Uh, get further information from them and so after about an hour and a half of that I thanked them for their coming I told them I would take these things under prayerful consideration and I would let them know um, you know at some point in the future what what you know I I might be able to do and and so blessed them and sent them on their way and the next morning we had prayer we had uh, prayer three mornings a a week at the church at 6 30 in the morning and the next morning was was prayer and Went to prayer and just in that course of prayer, in, in a flashpoint, in a moment, I I the Lord in his mercy just kinda opened up my eyes to my self love, my pride, my arrogance, the fact that nearly everything they said was true. And I saw the ugliness. I had been preaching about sin and pride. I I, I got it all theologically. But I hadn't been transformed by it. And that day altered the course of my life. The funny thing is, of all the people in the world, I'm so glad they came to my church. And I'm so glad they shared what was on their heart. I don't know what their motives were. I don't really even care because it doesn't matter fundamentally. But God used those things. Um, I think of David. You remember the, the fellas? He's being kind of chased out of Jerusalem and, and his son Absalom's coming and, and there's a guy throwing rocks at him and cursing him. And his fellow, should I kill that guy? No, no, no. What if the Lord sent him? <laughs> you know, <clears throat> when somebody comes and they're, they're pelting you with rocks, It's a good question to ask. What if the Lord sent them? What if the Lord sent them? Because sometimes the Lord does send them. He's getting our attention. Be aware of that. We can't represent Christ to the world until we've seen our own sin and humbled ourselves and we begin to see others as more important than ourselves. Because as long as we're the most important thing, we ain't getting anywhere wasn't long after that, about a couple of years after that, that the Lord made it clear it was time to lay down ministry and to just allow Him, to, if He wanted me in ministry, to put me back in ministry and went and got a job and pursued that and until one day they said, hey, what would you think about quitting your job and coming on staff? And um, so anyway, that was it's a little over 17 years ago. John 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. There's nothing supernatural about hanging out with people you like and prefer. Nothing supernatural about staying with a small group of close friends who share most things in common with you. The church, the communion of the saints, is about people who are very different but have been joined in Christ. This and this alone will demonstrate something unique to the world. You know what I love about the church? It brings in young people and old, the healthy and the sick, the wealthy and the poor and throws them all together and says, oh, by the way, your brothers and sisters. And, and, and we help one another and we have to be patient with one another and we have to work with each other. And God uses that. You know, we might think, well, I need to help this one or I need to help that one. Yes, but God uses them to help you to form Christ in you. That's what the church is. Okay, well... I'm going to blow through in five minutes, the next page, page. the church's mission. I've talked about a lot of this, so I won't have to to spend a lot of time here. The church's mission grows out of Jesus' mission. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, its labor, its builders labor in vain. So we already saw that Jesus is building the church. So if he's building the church, I want to build what he's building, lest I be laboring in vain. So I want to Commit my life to that. I want to be involved in that with whatever I'm doing. Um, and, and, and frankly, the only thing we've got instructions for in the Bible of, of what to do is to build a church, to be a part of what Christ is building. We don't, we don't have other kinds of instructions in the New Testament, per se. What's the mission of the church? Well, Matthew 28 18 through 20, it's called the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And it's interesting that that great commission about build, making disciples is at the end of the gospel, the only one of the four gospels that uses the word church, which is from that text we've been, we started with tonight. And I just referenced again when Jesus said he'd build his church. And it's also one that has the lengthiest portion of Jesus' teaching. So, Jesus says he's building his church. He tells the the uh, disciples, "Okay, now that I'm gone, go into all the world, make disciples in all nations." What does disciple? How do you do that? You 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 proclaim Christ, and you connect those people then to a local church. You get them connected to the bigger church by connecting them to local churches. That's where disciples grow. That's where disciples are made. That's what disciples do. A disciple is is a a bit like a brick. And the job of the church is not to make bricks. See, there's a lot of confusion in there. What is the mission of the church? And a lot of people that would cast the mission of the church is making bricks. That's not the mission of the church at all. The mission of the church is to make disciples and, and, and to use that analogy, you see, if a Christian is a brick, the only one who can make a brick is God. God's the only one who can make a brick. But he calls us to take those bricks and to fit them in place and to put the, the, the joining cement around them, to work with them, to engage them so that they become something other than a field strewn with bricks, but they actually become a building which God inhabits by his spirit, followers of Jesus. See, too often the church has said about, well, we've got to go get decisions. We've got, to, we've got to get decisions. We've got to get decisions. And so what they're trying to do is, oh, there's a decision, another brick. Oh, there's a decision, another brick. And they just keep going on looking for how, to, how do I make more bricks? And when their life is done, they turn around and what do they have? A field strewn with bricks. But we're called to make disciples. We proclaim the gospel, yes. People make decisions. God makes those bricks. And we spend our life, we don't just forget them once we've gotten a decision. That's when we really begin. We begin knitting them to one another, to that body, to ourselves, in that life. Teaching them to obey, part of how a disciple's made, teaching them to obey what I've commanded you. He spent a good bit of time telling us how, how to live our lives and what we're to do to follow Jesus. And so it's, it's that lifelong journey of being conformed to the image of Christ. It's, it's from beginning to end. the the Great Commission. The Great Commission isn't simply to go and introduce people into the kingdom. It's it's a lifelong commitment to those people as well, some form, fashion or another. So disciple making, not decision getting. And then thirdly, we'll talk about this more in in, in other lessons, but we can't accomplish the mission apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So we must be a praying people. We must be a dependent people. We must be a God dependent people. and, And prayer is one of the the greatest um, evidences of that. So I shared with you our mission statement, building a faithful gospel witness for this generation and the next. I mean, it's about the gospel. We want to be faithful to that. We want to testify to it in how we live our lives and in what we proclaim. And we always want to keep in mind that we're passing it on to another generation. We want to build in such a way that it, it, that your children, your children's children, their children, etc. Because guess what? One day, I'm just going to be a grave marker somewhere from an earthly perspective. What's going to happen then? We want the Gospel to go on, carry on. Amen. Well, I'm done with my part, so I'm going to open it up and, and we'll just take some time for, for questions, uh, comments, comments thoughts I'll give you a moment to take a breath because sometimes after I'm done talking it takes people a moment to kind of okay what are my questions what are my thoughts Um, but feel free to, to jump in if you've written one down you're already aware of it great thoughts comments questions God bless you okay anyone on your mind even that one, you're thinking, "I'll we'll just ask them later." You can go ahead and ask you now. It'll benefit. It will benefit somebody, somebody else. How? Let me ask you a question. Um, has this triggered thoughts in your mind about the church that you haven't had before? Has it answered questions that you arrived with? Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah, Caitlin. A lot of what we see today is mega churches, which isn't a bad thing. But sometimes mega churches go along with just gonna preach what's popular and preach um, things that people want to hear, and um, that's like tr- trying to get decisions and not make disciples. And um, along with that, it ends up being a lot more topical teaching as opposed to exegetical. And so I really appreciate like that you guys do do um, exegetical teaching because. You're forced to preach the topics you don't want to teach. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is so true. I mean, there are so many texts that, like, if you're not preaching, you just, I I wouldn't, I'm not preaching that. I mean, you know what? I'm not going to pick that one. It's like, you know, if you start your week by praying, Lord, what is it on my heart for this week? There are just certain texts, they're never on your heart. They're just not there, I, I tell you. As a pastor, I've been doing this now for 27 years. Even if I take out the 10 that, that I wasn't preaching, I just, you know, 10, 17, I've been doing this long enough to know there are just certain texts that you, you, you don't feel an unction to preach. Like when we went through 1 Corinthians, that whole thing on head coverings and so forth. If I didn't have to preach that text, trust me, I wouldn't have. <laughs> I mean, I just wouldn't have. But, um, <clears throat> so, and it's, by the way, it's good for the preacher too because I am forced every week to engage a text that I'm either unfamiliar with. Um, in some cases, I might be familiar with it, but I treat every text like I'm unfamiliar with it because my goal is to understand more clearly than I ever have what was the original intent of this message. And, and, and so I spend the first two days doing that. And then I start working on, okay, so how do I tell that to a, a current audience? The most important question, though, is what did God and originally communicate through this text so that's vital yeah amen um good thought other thoughts questions thoughts yes madeline and then we'll Mm -hmm. matt Amen. hmm Yeah. Amen to that. And I can tell you, Ryan spent many years just as we began dreaming of what became commission, began thinking about it. There was this just persistent refusal to just have another, quote, campus outreach, because if all we do is outreach, but we don't somehow connect these students to an experience in a local church that they take with them the rest of their lives, wherever they go and they can then say, okay, that's what Christian life in a church is supposed to look like in some form, fashion, or another, that invigorates them to get connected to a church wherever the Lord brings them. Then we failed, and, and so why do it? And, and, and so he's really spent much time, and, and the Lord, I think, is answering that prayer. And, you know, in a lot of ways, community groups in general, that's the goal, is to put into practice these things we've talked about tonight. And That's one of the beauties of community group. It's a context where we serve people. Some which we really enjoy being around, some which we wouldn't otherwise have hung out with, except that we're in a community group with them. But suddenly we've grown to love them because we're getting to know them, and there's something about that that's just that's it's 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 amazing. Um, it's good stuff. It's good. And Matt. Yeah. Um, I'll apologize in advance. I just thought of this and it's rather half baked, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> could you just it's half my sermons. Anyway, no, <laughs> uh, Mondays though they're much better on Mondays. Trust me, much better. If you ever think that was a really weak sermon, call me on Monday. I will give you the real deal on Mondays. It's just a day late. I realize, but anyway, go ahead. i was <laughs> um, just curious if you could comment on on kind of the church's view or understanding of how you balance um, the how the church reaches out to the local community. Mm-hmm. And how you balance that on encouraging individuals in the church to do it as individuals, mm-hmm. and balancing that with kind of an official corporate attack? And, and yeah, just, yeah that you know that is the true that true. is the uh, that is the challenge, isn't it? How do you do that? That's a great great question. Um, I'll kind of uh, give you a few broad strokes, and maybe we can tease this out a little bit. Um, First, I think to the latter part of your question, I think that drives it the real point. If if all we have are programs that, that do these things, I don't know if we've accomplished the goal, yet at the same time, if we teach individuals how to engage the community and what they do become, if it's going to, to have an effect, it probably is going to involve more than one individual, and pretty soon there's several people gathered around. The next thing you know, it might be what looks like a program, so there's this kind of You know, a lot of the things that you might look at now, and a good example of that is Scott got up this morning and started talking about pro-life ministry and some of the things he does. That might look a lot like a program. Well, they've got good pro-life ministry going there, And, and that's true, but on the flip side, that started because one Sunday morning on Mother's Day, the Lord prompted me to do a message on abortion. Seems like an odd topic for Mother's Day, but I did, and from that, two different people were convicted about the need to begin doing some ministry in that area and this has now been seven or eight years and he's still going <laughs> and, and, and still going and it's had a broad wide community impact and a number of people have gotten behind him in that and and the other one did for a number of years and then life turned toward you know having children of her own and you know so forth and so on uh, but had a had a significant impact for what the Lord called her to for a season but all that to say in relation to that last part, our job as a church at its core is to equip people to do ministry. And a lot of times people will come to us and say, hey, I've got a passion for this and I've got a passion for that. Or someone else, I've got a passion for this. What do you do in that regard? Well, in one sense, what we do in that regard is we teach you to go out and do it. So we want to get behind that. Okay. So, so if we're not doing something, go do it. Now, if it's something we're already doing, great. But if it's something we're not doing, then then maybe the Lord's calling you to do it and let's see what the Lord does with it. Um, Now, let me back up to the front part of your question. How do we get involved in in the broader community? I would say um, a couple of ways. Um, One, I think lead by example is probably a good model. Um, I, myself, and the pastors here, we're all engaged with our community around us, everything from other pastors. Um, we 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 just years ago we just started calling other pastors. Hey, can I buy you lunch? Let's sit down and talk. And let's get together for coffee. Let's pray together. And and we have a monthly meeting here now where we gather anywhere from five to fifteen local pastors. We'll just sit down. and We'll pray with each other. Or we just kind of share around who's going to share a, a lesson. Uh, but we do that to to broaden our our mind of what's going on in the community every month i meet with a bunch of uh, african-american pastors who meet on the south side of town um, i don't know four or five years ago i think somehow or other i got an invitation to the meeting so i showed up and i've just been going ever since and that's led to a couple of weeks ago we, they were doing some tent revivals down in, in the south side and I used to just go and kind of show up one night and preach they, they would ask me to, and i would and some of our folks would come and, and help with worship and this year uh, I kind of got volunteered into uh, uh, kind of running one of the sites, and so it was a week-long engagement, mostly uh, serving one of the local churches in uh, in, in the city. Uh, it's an African-American church that's right by the park where the tent was, and it just, the Lord really used that to engage different parts of the community, um, you know, and, and like anybody, I mean, whether it's the homeless people that live near, live near my house, you know, they're all over the city or, or whatever. I, I want to live as a Christian in that context. I want to model it. But then also we want to, we, we do want to have things that we do corporately that help engage the community around us. So whether it's at Christmas, we, we and different times through the year, but we, we've been engaged with Salvation Army and helping them with some things or we'll find some other ministries. We, we, we've learned that we can't do everything you know, uh, there are a lot of good ways to address the issues of justice in the, in the world around us. There are a lot of justice issues. Um, I, I think I can make a case that the greatest injustice in our nation is abortion. Um, I think generally killing a bunch of people before they have a chance to defend themselves is, is a pretty grave injustice. So I would argue that that's one of the greatest. We're engaged with that. There's human trafficking injustice. There's the homeless issue. Now, personally, I bring food to the homeless folks that I know. I engage with them. I sit down. I have Bible studies with them. Um, you know, there's, there are a lot of things that I like to do to, to, to engage that. We as a church, we're probably not going to be the most effective outreach to the homeless community. So we're probably not going to have a, a group outreach to the homeless. That's not to say the Lord will never do that. I'm just saying that doesn't look like that's our gift mix right now. So I encourage all individuals where we can and some of our community groups actually do engage the homeless and bring food to them and different things. And that's just something that happens at a community group level. I say all that to say it's it's a mixed approach. Um, We want to encourage and support all of the above. Um, But our focus, it seems like the Lord has given us a handful of areas um, that we're beginning to develop, and it just seems like, let's see what the Lord does with these. In particular, take the area of justice and injustice issues, two areas that we as a church seem to have made headway in a unique way in the community that not every church has made. They may do some other things that we don't do, but one is the abortion issue. I think the Catholics all over the the, the Bay Area seem to know that, hey, you know, there is one Protestant church that's joined us in this. And, 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 you know, everywhere we go, people are like, oh, you're that church. So the Lord's used us and had an effect. But the other is racial reconciliation. Uh, first amongst pastors. And, and it's amazing. October 30th, I've, ha- I've actually got a pastor from uh, uh, African-American church on the south side of the city who I've gotten to know who's an expository preacher, getting his Ph.D. in expository preaching. He's coming to preach here and he can preach. And, and it won't be the style you're used to. It'd probably be better, uh, so it, it'll be wonderful. I mean, um, I started preaching uh, when I was really young in a black church and, and spent the first, I mean, number of years preaching there with some regularity, and uh, two Sunday nights ago, I actually was uh, invited to preach into a black uh, congregation, and um, uh, I realized, hey, I can still do this. It was, it was really, a, it was really a, a lot of fun, and um, and it felt a little bit like, guess who's coming to dinner in reverse, uh, but uh, but it was it was it was it was really cool. Uh, I mean, I think that's how they felt. I mean, they were a little like, what's going to happen? And then it was all good by the time we were halfway through. Um, but um, so there's been inroads. I've I've got I've got relationships with I don't know fifteen or twenty African American pastors in three different groups that. I mean, good relationships that, that they won't necessarily even relate to each other. But a couple of weeks ago, I got to get these two together because at the tent meeting with this group, I invited this guy from this group to come preach. And they're like, oh, they're getting to know each other. And so there's there's that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, we've got people that are going out and doing street evangelism and they're you know, knocking on doors. We've got commission going on commissions, a, a church function you know we're, we're behind that a thousand percent and yet without all the individuals doing it it ain't going to happen um we have others that their things just going out in the streets and talking to people about jesus that's not specifically a program of the church that we get behind but we encourage anyone that's you know do you guys do any event yes talk to him you know and and just see what the lord does with it um because the Lord uses gifts differently, and as the church grows, the Lord will give us more ability to to do things. But I don't know how much bigger we're gonna. I mean, it's not like we're gonna become a, you know, huge church. I mean, look at the walls; they're only so big, and we're not doing three services. So, you know, <laughs> uh, at least I'm not. They want another preacher. They, you know, another pastor. Maybe do, but but, but yeah, not doing not doing uh, three. So, um, we'll just keep planting out churches after this. So, anyway, um, so that did I answer your question? Did I get close? Yeah. You're welcome. Thanks for the questions. Good question. Other questions, thoughts, comments, and I'll let you go if not. But okay. Just in time for the rain. Uh, thank you so much for your time and attention. And uh, God bless.